Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Welcome back to Set for Life. Here we are in 2 Samuel 5. I know we touched on it a little bit last time, but we're going to do it again. So, 2 Samuel 5 and verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And so, after such a long war, what could finally get everybody, all 11 tribes, to finally come and unite under David? What was it? I mean, they'd just been fighting. Well, the first thing they said was, we are your own flesh and blood. This means that they recognize David as a brother Israelite. Why is this important? It's apparent that the 11 tribes consulted the law. They went to the word of God to see what God said about having a king because they really messed up last time when they picked Saul. So in Deuteronomy 17 and 14, it says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And so David is double qualified here. He's an Israelite plus God chose him. And it's apparent that the Israelites had finally realized the terrible mistake they had made of choosing Saul as king because Saul was an Israelite, true, because he was a Benjamite of the Benjamin clan, but Saul was not God's choice. That's the difference between Saul and David. Uh, Twice now, Israel had established failed kings, Saul and Ishbosheth, and the damage that it brought on them. Uh, Remember, they had just been through this huge war. The damage is something they don't want to go through again. They're tired of it. Thirdly, the Israelites told David, you were the one that led Israel out and brought them back in again. So the Israelites, they saw David's good track record was played out that whenever he led Israel out to battle, he brought everybody back home. Everybody wants their their kids and their family and friends and what all to come back from battle. And when they knew when they were with David... They were going to be coming home again, and so they want, the Israelites at this point, they want a victorious king, a victorious king, because David had a very, very good track record. He had immeasurably victorious, immeasurably strong leadership skills given to him by the Spirit of the Lord who was upon him. 
And so they're like, hey, th- these are things we want in a king. David is is the guy for us to get under. Now, if you remember Saul, he started off very good, but he quickly plunged the nation into deep trouble. And Ishbosheth, the next king that they slapped into the throne real quick, pretty much the first problem Ishbosheth had, he lost all heart, it says. He rolled over and just gave up. He didn't know what to do. David's victorious track record is why all the elders agreed that David needs to be king. This guy executes a plan of action. He is a real leader. Now, remember, the Israelites are damaged. They're tired. They want peace. They had learned the hard way. What happens when you pick the wrong guy? Somebody that God has not chosen. They will never experience true peace until they submit to God's chosen deliverer as a king. The decision to submit to David did not come by talk. It came by power. 2 Samuel 5 and 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So up to this point, David had ruled only in Hebron, but now with the tribes ready to make him as king, he relocated the capital city to Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. Now, this was as much a political move for day on David's part and before the people, but it was also a prophetic move, political and prophetic. Let's hit the prophetic first. God's word says in Psalm 78 and 68, says, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights like the earth which he has established forever. He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. Notice this passage says that Mount Zion, it says, which is in Jerusalem, is where the Lord was to build his sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place of safety. And so this was a prophetic reason why David moved to Jerusalem, because that was the Lord's chosen place. It's the middle. It's the center of everything. But there was also a political reason, and the political reason for Israel's capital city to be moved to Jerusalem was because Jerusalem was considered to be neutral territory in that time. If David had continued to rule over in Hebron, in the the territory of the Judahite people, then everybody, the remaining 11 tribes, would have thought that David was showing partiality to the tribe of Judah. They would have felt maybe this isn't trying to, this guy's not trying to be our king after all. I mean, we we submitted to him, but look, he's still playing in Hebron. Why, Why doesn't he get somewhere a little more central? It was a good political move for David to move to Jerusalem is also a prophetic move. Also, the best political move was to rule at the center, in the very middle. Ezekiel 5 and 5 says, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her, which means Jerusalem is in the middle. If you were to shoot an arrow or throw a dart, and the the target you're aiming for represented the world, and let's say you hit the bullseye of the bullseye, I mean, in the middle of the middle, that would be Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the very center middle of the earth, everything. You turn on the news, there's always talk about 
Jerusalem and Israel, something going on with Israel, that little speck, that little, very little country has always been in the news. It's always got the United States involved, Russia's involved, all these countries are, have some kind of stake in it. That little country, it's always the very middle. And David moved to Jerusalem into the location where the sanctuary was to be to dwell there at the center to unite everyone under his authority as king. Second Samuel 5 and 6, the conquest of Jerusalem. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and David built all around from the millow and inward. So let's recall how Jerusalem had been under the control of the Jebusites, it says, which were Canaanite people, and they had been there in Jerusalem ever since Joshua's time. When Joshua brought Israel into the land, into the promised land, the Lord told him, take out the Canaanites, get them out of there, because they were a wicked people who served false gods. But of all the victories that Joshua had had, he could not remove the Jebusite people. They would not come out of there. I want to show you Joshua 15 and 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, I believe that the reason the Lord made the Jebusites unmovable to Joshua is so that he could demonstrate to all of us who read his word that there are some problems that are just too dug in for an average man to uproot. There are some problems that are too deep, too rooted for anyone to be able to get out, but they can be removed and eliminated only by the power of a king. The power of a king. Those of you that know my Jesus parallel technique, your ears are ringing right now. You're sensing the gospel here in this already. And so Jerusalem, it was considered to be hard and closed up, difficult to get in. And that's why the Jebusites mocked him. They said, you cannot come in here. Even the lame, which people that are not as mobile and the blind are strong enough to repel you. Even our weakest of people that we have, they'll be able to fight you off because you can't get into Jerusalem. It's too well guarded. It's too, it's too fortified. It's too defended. It's too shielded. And this is how the Jebusites taunted David. David can't come in here. You're not coming in here, David. And there in verse 8, where it says in parentheses, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Okay, this does not mean that David hated the handicapped people that they were using as in their taunt. Apparently, the wording of it from the Hebrew to English throws us off a little bit we read that the Jebusites had taunted David. They said, the lame and the blind will repel you. And so David pretty much had words to say back to them. It's kind of like when you see kids playing on a playground, like boys are playing baseball. And one boy says to another boy, you throw like a girl. And then he goes, oh yeah, well you throw like a girl too. You know, it's 
taunt for taunt, words for words. Apparently, David, he had his own words to say at their taunt in response to the Jebusites taunting him first. And then our reading of it says that David hated the lame and the blind. I think his response was more like, if you're lame and blind, try to kill us or stop us. We will take care of them, too. I think that's what the point of this is. It doesn't mean that David hated any handicapped people that have a handicap. And so David had a hatred against those who stood in his way. He was he was coming in. Doesn't matter who who you throw at me or what your taunt is. The king is coming in. The king is coming in. The friend, hear me. <laughs> the king is coming in. He's going to come in. That's so good. And one reason why the Jebusites boasted so big of themselves is like I said, the Jer- Jerusalem had such good defenses that it was unable to be penetrated. Nobody could get in there. It was shielded. It was tough to break into, and they felt even their lame and their blind could fend David off. But David knew how to get in there. That's a point I want you to grab a hold of. There's one of those little things I want you to, to, to lock on here with me. He knew how to get in. I want you to look at verse 8. David said, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, he shall be chief and captain. In other words, the king knows how to get in. The David, King David, he knew there's a way in. I know the way in. Here's the way we're going. So in 2 Samuel 5 and 10, So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Okay, so David's kingdom was starting to expand. It's it's expanding. The influence is becoming greater. People were no longer regarding David as just the runaway renegade guy that he had been for all the previous years while Saul was after him, because now even the king of Tyre recognize David's rule. It's very important when another king recognizes the authority of a new king. And so he was. He saw how David was blessed by the Lord, and you know he wanted to be part of it. And that's why he sent the carpenters and the, and the materials and the manpower. You know, when people see great blessing in others, it makes them want to be part of it. And so that's why the king of Tyre sent David all the material and the manpower to help out. He wanted in on whatever David had going on. You've seen people like that. It's like, man, where did you get this? I want in on that too. That looks awesome. He saw the blessing of the Lord in David's life, and he wanted to be part of it. As a matter of fact, this was not a brief committed thing. This wasn't a little blip in the radar. The king of Tyre, he stayed involved all the way through Solomon's time, continued to provide resources when Solomon took the throne. Now, that's a good witness on David's part for people to see the Lord at work in him so clearly that it made them want to be part of it. But here's a point for us all to take notice of. I hope you saw it. The expansion of David's kingdom, it did not go to his head. Oftentimes when people have their little empire, their little thing, you know, their their career or it makes them crazy when people make a lot of money. It makes them think there's something that they're not. They think it's them. I'm doing this. They get all, you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said, had said, and the God humbled him. Oh, look at my kingdom, how great I am. It's a pride thing. It's a wrong way to go. And so the kingdom was being lifted up, 
But David realized it was not being lifted up for him, but for the sake of his people, Israel. Always remember, friend, when the Lord blesses you, it is not for your sake. It is not to make you rich. And that is not what that's for. When the Lord blesses you, he doesn't give it to you to spend it on your own luxuries. Now, that's something the prosperity pastors are not going to ever talk about is where the Bible says you want stuff so you can spend it on your own luxuries, but that's why you don't get it. They're never going to go there. People always think God blesses them because it's just good to be rich. Oh, it's so good to be rich. God bless me. And you see it all the time, social media. Somebody is, you know, hanging out on the beach and they got their beach house or, you know, things are going good and or their jet ski and all these all this money that they have and, and they take a picture of themselves chilling out. Oh, God is good to me. God has blessed me. Well, when you do that, poor people think, well, I guess God has not blessed me because I don't have all the material stuff you have. And then you're putting forth a bad example. You're not making people want to be part of your blessing. You're making people despise you. If God blesses you with something, the reason he does it is not so that you can have. It's not yours to keep. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. So you can use what he gave you to give to someone else. Stop thinking of your little empire. Oh, I've got to buy this, and I've got to buy that, and I've got to have all this stuff, and I want to build, build, build for me so I can have all this awesomeness that I think is really cool. That's not why God gave you what you have. You are a steward of what you have. That means it's not yours. The money in your back pocket is not yours. The car in your driveway is not yours. Oh, yes, it is. My name's on the title, but God gave it to you so that you could use it for his kingdom. It's for the sake of his people, not for your sake. 2 Samuel 5 and 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Okay, friends, y'all know I'm a Texan, and that means I speak redneck. Even when I'm doing this radio show, I am struggling to speak clearly. I, it, it, boy, I tell you what, if I talk like I always talk, you wouldn't understand half of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to try to speak clearly, but these Hebrew names tear me up. I know I mess them up. Deal with it. Okay, <laughs> so here we go. These are the who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamoah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, we know him, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Elidia, Eliadia, I don't, I, I, why do I have trouble with that one? Eliada and Eliphalet. Okay, I made it. I'm going, my Hebrew friends, you're saying, no, you didn't make it. You tore it up. In my mind, I made it. I'm moving on. You read the text. That ought to work for you. Anyway, in the ancient Eastern world, a sign of elevation was you had concubines. They were not wives. They were for reproducing, having uh, extending your line. And you would have more children. You would expand your family. And so this is saying that David's influence, his, his, the house of David is expanding. Now, I know that the obvious question arises, how can this be right for what David's doing? You know, taking all these concubines and wives, it's eventually going to bring David a lot of trouble. We're going to see that happen later. David was not sinless. That's something I want us to remember. Only Jesus Christ was sinless. David was not. And I think the point of this passage here is not for us to get so hung up on the fact that he took uh, concubines and all, 
but it's to show us that the house of David was expanding. It was increasing his rule. Second Samuel 5 and 17, the Philistines are defeated. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. You know, it's nice to know, like I said, he he didn't let it go to his head, but it's nice to know that all this power did not corrupt David's relationship with the Lord. It didn't ruin that. A lot of people will trade money for God any day or power for God any day. David has both. He has riches and power. And he still asked. He still went to the Lord and inquired of the Lord, how do you want me to deal with this? I've got a situation. What do you want me to do? You remember Ishbosheth. His problem that he had when Abner was killed, he just he just went to bed. I, 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 I'm done. He didn't ask the Lord anything. Saul, he asked the Lord at first, but he eventually got to a point where he stopped asking and started doing things his own way. David had not gotten so prideful, though, to where he would not say to himself, well, I'm the king. I know what I'm doing. I, I'm the one that got here. I'm the one that's the, the king man. I, I'm the guy. The people chose me. I must be awesome. I'll do this my own way. David never did that. David knows that the kingdom is the Lord's. It's for the sake of his people, not not for David. It's for the Lord's people. And so he's still small enough to still ask the Lord, what do I need to do? He knows he needs to seek the Lord's will on how to rule over the kingdom that God gave him to rule it properly. Friend, when you're given abundance, when you're given blessing, remember what it's for. It's not for you. It's for you to be a blessing to others. Always ask the Lord, Lord, how do I deal with this? What what do I do with it? How do you want me to take what you've given me? And how do you want me to sow it back into your kingdom? Do you want me to give to this ministry? Do you want me to do this for somebody? Just let the Lord tell you what he wants you to do. That's the way. Inquire of the Lord. Don't get so big and proud mighty of yourself. You're thinking, I'm too awesome. I don't need to ask God anymore because I'm experienced. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. (laughs) Ask the Lord what to do with it, and he will show you. Good job, David. 2 Samuel 5 and 20. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so, as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. After David's victories here, he named the place Baal-perazim. Again, redneck. That's redneck Hebrew. You know, shalom, y'all. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.